Hey, this episode is brought to you in part by Signature Doors and Windows and Modern Denver Magazine. Now, on to the show. Again, like the firm, doesn't have a mission statement, does not have a real agenda other than just doing terrific work, regardless of what the project is uh, coming down the pike. And that's been our DNA. It's been my DNA. It's like climbing mountains, you know. Right. I don't know what the situation is going to be. I hopefully have the skills and the bag of tools to be able to solve the problem. And that, to me, is adventure. That's the most exciting part. Hi. Hello. 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 Hello, and welcome to Architecting. Hey, hello, and welcome to Architecting. I'm Adam Wagner. Our mission here on this podcast is to tell Colorado design stories, and recently we were able to do this at AIA Colorado's Design and Practice Conference in Keystone, Colorado. For me, this event is really a party where I get to be around all my favorite people, past guests, future guests, friends, and colleagues, and get them all in one place. This year, AIA Colorado graciously set up a, a glass podcast studio for me in the middle of the conference room where I was able to sit down with all the keynote speakers and other guests to recap and dive deeper into the talks that they gave. This will be a series of short interviews released over the next few weeks. For more information and pictures from these talks and events, you can check out our Instagram page or go to aiacolorado.org. So our second guest needs little introduction as one of the named partners of the award-winning firm Olson Kundig. For this keynote, Tom Kundig was joined on stage by Colorado's own Sarah Broughton. You can check out her story on episode 31 of our show. Through Sarah's question, Tom described his long career in architectural works as well as the philosophies and underpinnings of his design. With his talk, we were really able to get a, a window into his day-to-day -day and into his future goals for, for his work in his firm. Then I was able to dive deeper into some of the things that he talked about with our interview together. Enjoy. Well, hey, nice to meet you, Adam. Nice Weiner. meeting yeah. you. We, I know from your talk that you just got done with about 20 minutes ago that you, you've got a big Zoom call coming up. And, yeah. uh, it's interesting seeing, seeing somebody like you, a principal, you know, still having to take those uh, in the weed, dirty phone calls. They're of, tough. Uh, yeah. yeah. Dealing with uh, sort of project overruns or, or whatever that is, or pointing fingers or... Yep. But nice. Well, you know, thank you for coming to our conference here and um, appreciate it. I think that that meeting rolls nicely into, I think, the first thing you talked about uh, in the talk of of these sort of two points of saying that the you feel like the the kind of profession or we as a profession has kind of forgotten about the importance of, of design and of the practice. And uh, yeah, I want to see how you elaborate on, on both those a little bit, coming yeah. back from your point of view. Yeah, and maybe this is old school talking, but when I was a kid growing up in the culture of architecture and art, and then I ultimately, I di actually didn't want to be an architect, but I eventually... Didn't want to follow your dad. No, yeah, yeah. no. But I did actually wind up in um, architecture. It was still long ago enough where it was always about a design-forward agenda. Hmm. That was, um, it was how could you make uh, the most beautiful place and experience of, of anything you were designing. And so 
it was always that that was always the discussion it's gotten more complex now obviously with a bunch of other agendas that in a way are um maybe really super important there are social agendas there are um uh sustainability absolutely and what it does is it brings more subjects into an already crowded field um probably they it should but i'm i'm looking for the balance you know just speak personally here i'm looking for the balance where those agendas are actually balanced with the aesthetic agendas because i believe firmly that social ecological and aesthetics are all equal importance and if you're really firing on all cylinders you are doing you are doing master's work on each one of those um, agendas and again it was like any time an industry brings something in new from the outside like an autocad was was brought in it was actually kind of ham-handed you know right. there was sort of a there was there was a learning curve huge learning curve that had to happen not only at the programming level but also at the user level and i could recognize this was uh this was a difficult time for us you know follow through with, with some of the architecture and i still do you know i i wasn't more efficient uh were the digital formats do the digital formats make it more efficient i'm not sure even to this date you know that again this is an experience of hand drawing is that hand drawing was always you always tried to design a building that could be drawn more efficiently in a hand-drawn agenda because you your head your nine pound head was hanging over a drawing and you were trying to drawing so you you were always thinking as a designer how can i distill or edit this project down so I could have a, a, a reasonable um, set of documents to describe this project like one or two, three wall sections rather than what I see now is because it's so easy to digitally generate. I mean, sometimes there's 20 wall sections right. on small projects. That gets also, I'm not sure that's efficient. And I'd like to see the mathematics as, uh, you know, the efficiencies of drawing sets back then and drawing sets now, and in particular, the uh, efficiencies of the builders pawing their way through a phone book of drawings right. rather than a relatively edited set of drawings. Does that make sense? Right. No, it definitely does, right? It's, if I'm moving around my, my window in Revit, it's moving it in all the drawings. Yep. But then for some reason, our drawing sets have exploded. And and I don't. I mean, I don't know if it's it's about being, are the buildings more complex formally to have that? Or is it more of a sort of, sort of from a legal standpoint that they were doing more and more drawings and Yes, both they're more complex sometimes because the uh, technology allows you to make more complex shapes and forms and they're easier to describe. Now, a builder or a fabricator will look at some of those drawings and they'll say to me, well, this is not a particularly sustainable project because the amount of energy that goes into either bending those forms or cutting those forms you have to look at what's on the shop floor, you right, know. Right. When you take a, a straight thing, like a, uh, the way a tree 
grows mm -hmm. and you bend it or cut it into a complex shape, what are the leftovers on the floor or a steel shape that comes out of the mill straight? And of course you can bend it easily. Like I worked for a, a sculptor that made very complex right. shapes out of steel. And there was a lot of energy involved and a lot of stuff that was landing on the shop floor. Um, so I recognize that following Harold uh, building complex shape. There's a lot of inefficiencies that just naturally happen. Now that may change with technology, I'm not sure, but I'm not seeing that yet. Liability, absolutely. Liability is a, is a dark sort of cloud over us all the time. And um, I, I sometimes wonder if liability might even be better served if the drawing set was smaller so there were less conflicts. You could actually recognize more easily by rather than going through a whole phone book, you can go through a relatively edited and you have the answer, liability answer, in one place rather than five or six places. Right. When I want to get back to the, the idea of the sort of the quality of design combined with the sustainability, with the cultural, with all these things that we're trying to get. And, and I really liked when you started talking about the sort of soul of the firm. And so my wife's the young architect of the year, the fam famous out there, and she works for Ginsler, you know, and I have my own one person firm. And she, she's saying, what do you want to do? And I said, I just want to do houses. And yeah. she said, yeah. ooh, why would you just want to yeah. do houses? Yeah. It's so boring. You know, and, yeah. but, and so I, I opened her when you said that the heart and soul of the firm is yeah. residential. Oh, and yeah. taking it back to that cabin you stumbled upon yeah. in your youth and, <clears throat> and just discovering that and then using that for the research and development, right? Yeah. Uh, it's such a powerful thing because it is so hard to do this job and yeah. try to do all those yeah. things well and to do it on a smaller project maybe a little easier with, with a good budget and a good client. But. Well, even a bad budget, even tough budgets. A lot mm. of those small projects are, are a lot tougher budgets than the larger projects that we've worked on. So you even have another set of circumstances under how do you do a, a beautiful place with a small budget. But um, I mean, honestly, the adventures I've been privileged to do in my life in all these environments around the world the number of places I've been allowed to go to on, in the residential arena and the people I get to work with, they're unbelievable. And so there's nothing for me, there's, that's, it's a super exciting uh, realm. It's not doing suburban housing. We're doing little cabins, you know, up in super remote British Columbia or super remote Australia and New Zealand. I get to work with different climates, uh, different, different cultures, different building cultures different uh, delivery systems because some of these um, places require much different delivery systems. You know, again, I work on large projects. I understand the large projects have their own interest. Um, working, you know, on a few of them right now. But some of those large projects are actually have small components to them. Right. And when you have small, you have a large project, you have a big effect, small components, it's pretty exciting. Right. And did you, you, you know, you, you had your own firm, right, in Alaska, Alaska. for a little while, and then you came and joined Jim Olson and, you know, set 12 people down to seven people in a week or whatever. But, and, and especially seeing your dad with a larger firm growing up, you know, did you have that vision of saying, okay, I just want to do small houses the rest of my life? Or was it the idea of, hey, I'm, I'm looking at the thing ahead of me and whatever comes next? And 
Yeah, you know, uh, again, like the firm, doesn't have a mission statement, does not have a real agenda other than just doing terrific work, regardless of what the project is uh, coming down the pike. And that's been our DNA. It's been my DNA. It's like climbing mountains, you know. Right. I don't know what the situation is going to be, but I, I hopefully have the, the skills and the bag of tools to be able to solve the problem. And that, to me, is adventure. That's the most exciting part. So I actually... The residential arena is only an arena that happens to fulfill a lot of those, you know, adventure directives. I did not grow up in my early, early in my career doing residential work. I was working on larger projects, mm. airports and high rises. I actually found them not particularly interesting because I was working in the same place right. you're doing with the same client, same situation. And as soon as I went up to Alaska, of course I had to do small projects. You were doing skyscrapers. I wasn't yeah. doing, yeah, I wasn't doing large, large projects. And I just got, I got around the, you know, Alaska, uh, the landscape. It's a huge landscape. I, it just was super exciting. And I recognized, you no, know, small projects get me to these places. Now that matters to me. It doesn't have to matter to other architects, but for my career, those small projects have led to not only terrific adventures and learning opportunities, but also um, clients that um, led to, in some cases, significant projects. Right, right. Uh, like you spoke about the, <clears throat> the the houses that led to the Nike project, right? Yeah. And, and the well, sort of, it's more about the, the thinking, right? The yep. Demonstrating the thinking that then leads to, can be scaled up and yep yeah. and, and again with that project that was exactly what it was it wasn't the project itself they loved the little jewel box whatever right they just loved the thinking i was once hired by and i should have told this story because i tell this quite a bit i was hired by a client um, who became a really good client a kind of close friend years ago and um, he was interviewing me for a, a, a residence and <clears throat> He was really putting me through the ringers, and at some point he says, you know, I don't like anything you've done today. <laughs> I want to hire the brain that came up with those things. And, and when he said that, I immediately realized, oh, this is the perfect client. Uh, huh. yeah. Where, how, when was this in your career? Was it early on? Or yeah, was it, yeah, it was relatively early. It was probably 25 years ago. And so were you... Were you getting into that thing that some of us get into where you're sort of designing what you think the client might want instead of like what's embedded in the soul? Or I, no. don't, I don't see you doing that very often. Uh -uh. But, uh, no, in fact, I'm not even particularly interested in, in doing that. I'm Well, I'm interested in, maybe I misunderstood the question. I am actually interested in understanding what the client is saying. Right, right, right. Um, and that has unspoken implications that I think are really important. They may be saying something, but it's what they're saying, how they're saying it is has more meaning to me than actually the words themselves. Right. So sometimes I'll work with colleagues in the office and they'll do something. I go, you didn't hear what they said. And we'll present it and the client goes, oh no, I don't like this. Yet it was, it you on the surface, you might think you that's the words, what they said, but, yeah. but it wasn't what they said. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, just getting back again to that statement of all these things that makes up good architecture, right? And how you get there and your, your statement of, you know, you're still working 70 hours a week. And, and it's sort of like 
broke my heart in a little way of saying that it's kind of taken over the mountain experience oh, yeah. that you loved and yeah. this, you don't you haven't skied or climbed in 15 years and you know there is this dedication that architecture the highest architecture demands i guess as like a, a father with a young kid and married to an architect you know i'm constantly navigating that of who who gets what yeah. and was that i'm guessing that was always a struggle oh, for you as well but. it's absolutely a struggle but it's like the itch of climbing skiing or traveling and frankly has been met with my career right it may i may be actually okay not climbing anymore i mean i certainly wouldn't be doing it now at my age um and skiing yeah sure but i'm never going to be skiing at the um level i was when i was in my 30s but i'm sure having a great time doing architecture and traveling and so it's you know it's not like i lost something um i look at it and i think yeah i mean i in order to I mean, it's like editing on a on a project level at design editing. You've got to determine what is a priority here, and when you you can't have everything, it then becomes just sort of half indulgent, and so you just have to edit, 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 and that's what I've tried to do with my career and my life. Right, and I th- I think that advice you gave to younger architects or architects of a you don't know anything for a long time, oh, yeah. and b be patient right that's what i struggle with all the time you gotta be patient it's it's not and don't and just you're gonna be frustrated you're gonna you're gonna have your heart broken and that's again like mountain climbing or even mountain skiing sometimes you just uh it's you really have to struggle through some low points and just hold on yeah it'll work out what was one of those low points in my career yeah Oh boy, there's been a there's been a number of them where projects were canceled, maybe, or you didn't get a project you really wanted. You interviewed for a project you really wanted, and um, you thought you were the right uh, architect. You thought on so many levels this is the perfect project, but you didn't get it, and those really hurt because it it was like the Nike project. We didn't get that project because of the rolling huts. We were invited to them being interviewed. You have to be invited to the right. party. <laughs> right. You can't just show up and, and hope to get a project. So when you're invited, um, you're hoping you're invited for the reasons that the project makes some sense to your DNA or your history. And so when it doesn't come through, you go, oh. Right. It hurts. And it seems like that's a bit of the, the thing about patience, especially thinking about a, a younger firm of, of, you know, you don't know what Nike's looking at, right? You don't know that they're looking at those houses or whatever. And of that advice of just do good work and build it up and people will see it. Uh, but then there's always that struggle of, okay, I need to pay the bills or whatever, and this is the work I'm doing, but it's not the work I believe in or, or whatever. Uh, and it's like our firm just did it. A, a fake project with no client and rendered it and we got one of those uh, honorable oh, mention awards great. you know and and then that got us a, our best house right yeah. but we know I, I was like this is a lot of money and time we're spending on oh, this yeah. and oh, is yeah. it going to be worth it right you don't know no yeah uh, and um competitions you know there's a good chance you take part in a competition regardless if it's paid or not you're still not they don't pencil out right um and you'll um you might win you probably won't win I mean, even the 
obviously I you know I have some good colleagues that win competitions and even their hit rate is actually surprisingly low right and I would say you know competitions is another place like the uh, um, residential arena or the small project arena um, you can learn a lot you can test out some ideas in a competition or just do something on your own um, where it falls short is unless it's built you don't know the reality to that scheme right yeah <laughs> right um you you brought up an interesting thing that that sort of frustrated you when people draw a distinct line between art and craft you want to talk about sort of how you define each of those and then that 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 frustration um well it's I think I think we've all got poetics in our body, and we've all got function. I mean, you know, to to function as a as a human being, you have to have an artistic side, a poetry side, and a functional side. And I think, um, you know, a craftsperson might be leaning a little bit more to um, the fabrication side of something. But they're also bringing something about their heart and soul to whatever they're doing. I mean, it's just the nature of working with your hands. And an artist may, in fact, be bringing something that is reaching into another um, place. But they're also fabricating, if they're fabricating. And that, you know, has an influence on, on what you're presenting. So there may be shadings between them, but there's not a hard line between them. And I think that's... That's the mistake, is when people try to define hard lines between uh, X or Y. It's like trying to define a hard line between residential architecture and commercial architecture. Right. It's, it's architecture. Right. You're, you're building shelter. You're building shelter on a large scale or you're building shelter on a small scale. And I just take the position that the small scale is a, is a lot about being a human, and if you bring the small scale about what it's like to be a human, you bring it to the larger scale, and your larger projects all of a sudden take on another uh, dimension. Right. And and in, in that idea of the the sort of art and the the soul, you know, I was I was interested hearing another podcast here with you, you know, talking about growing up as a son to an architect, but then being more interested in the the sort of artist group that that you were living around. And, and talking today about the, the couple who created the art that sort of disturbed you, right? Oh, Ed and Nancy? Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. You know, and it was, it was disturbing, but then it was challenging, and that's, that's the role of the artist. You, yeah. It, to sort of challenge and disturb in a way. And do you do, you do that in your work? Do you, how, uh, how, do you, how do you do it? You know, it's... Yeah, you know, that's a good, really good question because I don't think an architect's role is to disturb. Hmm. And there, were, there are architects that will take that position uh, and have taken that position that architecture should challenge your perception of the universe and of a culture or whatever. And sometimes it's appropriate. Sometimes if there's a museum, uh, as an example, a museum of tolerance, maybe there is a way of making the architecture challenging right. um, so that you're confronted with that issue. But if you're living in a day-to-day -day situation, you just really are looking for an architecture that is the backbone to a good experience, a, a quiet architecture. 
I don't think it should challenge you, but there might be something that intrigues you, right. um, like the gizmo or something like that. It's not a challenge, but it's it's something that might, oh, wow, look it, I can move something six and a half tons of glass. In fact, we're moving some stuff that's like, oh, close to 12 tons of glass, just using my skinny little arm. That's just kind of wonder and wow, or a space, a spatial experience or a um, sequence of spatial ex experiences that just uh, wakens your perception of what it is to be a human being. I don't think that's confrontational. I think that's just making us aware of our and I think that really is the bulk of the architect's role, is make us aware of our nature, of the nature, and of the culture. Right. Just add another checkbox into what we need to do, <laughs> what, what, what we can do. Uh, yeah. I love how you brought up Alberto Kalash. I, I'm just... He's great. I worked down in Mexico City for a little bit, and just his work, you know, and, and it's not that well published, and you go into it, and it just oh, it's great stuff. your soul. And it's small stuff. It's yeah. not... A lot of it is small right. stuff, and you will see that. Uh, some of it gets... You know, the library, of course. Or yeah, some of the course. offices, but yeah. But the reason those things work is because he does small stuff. Right. I think he's a perfect... And ZoomTor. Mm -hmm. ZoomTor does small things, but then he does large things. Right. You know, really large things. Marquette does mostly small things, but um, has done a couple of larger things, and they just carry the legacy of working on small projects, which I think is super important. All of them do, if you think of their work. Um, Khan did, uh, I mean, Mies, obviously. You just go through Corbu. I mean, you go through the list. Right. It's a long list. Is that changing with a, a newer generation with digital where you don't necessarily need to be starting with those houses? Or is that just what the commissions come in with and then it happens to uh, wrap into your yeah, career that way? I don't know. I think digitally you can still do small things and they still can be soulful. I mean, proof's in the pudding. Right. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, How's it I can you? walk through your project and I can look at you and you say, what do you think? Right. And if you're being honest with yourself, you can say it feels fantastic, if it is fantastic. Or if you're being like you recognize, it's maybe not hitting on all cylinders. Uh, honestly, I did projects in, and they're all, of course, hand-drawn, and they didn't hit all the cylinders. I can look at some of the projects I did in the past before Studio House. Studio House was like, that was where all of a sudden things mm -hmm. started to coalesce for me personally. Um, before that... How old were you then? 32, 35, yeah. something like that. I've forgotten now. But yeah, I was mid-30s. So I had a number of years of working on projects and doing projects where I don't think they necessarily hit all cylinders. Right. Well, you know, it's been an honor to have you on here and to have you here, and thanks for making soulful stuff, and especially more and more things in Colorado. So Yeah, uh, no, happy to have happy, you around more. And thank you for the invite. Honored, honored to do these. So yeah. love. Thank you. Thank you again. Yeah. You can visit architecting.com, that's architect-ing.com, to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. Hi, I'm Eli. This show is made by my mom and dad and these people. Heidi Mendoza. Emily Childs. Fernando Queiroz. Zach Huff. 
Trevor Notzko. Aaron Best. Kyle Brunner. Rob Cleary. All right, let's get a coffee. See ya. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.